0: Hello friends, welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your auntie Fiona. Today, I'm extremely excited to have a chat with my sister from another mister. Layla Island and I met in 2012, and I'm seriously gobsmacked that it has now been 10 years. <laughs> the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell had gone into effect, but transgender people were still banned from the US military due to silly, outdated bullshit about genitals and private medical information that has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to do your job. So I started documenting through film the Experiences of trans people in the military, and Layla and her now husband, Logan, teamed up with me to share their love story and their military experience on camera. That film, Transgender at War and in Love, ended up being Emmy nominated, and Layla and Logan got invited to the White House to meet President Obama. Together, along with many of the advocates, we helped make change to end the ban in 2017. After 12 years of service in the United States Army, which included two combat tours, Layla retired in 2015. She has continued her LGBTQ plus advocacy career through speaking engagements and public appearances, including being interviewed by Ellen. <laughs> Today, Layla is continuing her work from Korea, where she and Logan are stationed. Labels Layla uses to describe herself are transgender, woman, mahuwahine, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Latina, brown, queer, intersectional, and of course, indomitable. Let's dive into this amazing chat. Please meet
1: my dear friend, my sister, family you choose, Layla Island. Aloha, 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 everyone. Oh my gosh, you are so much fun and so funny. That was an incredible introduction. Thank you so much, Fiona.
0: It was long, but well deserved. And of course, I, you know, there's always, always things I miss out. But I am so excited to see you. I love you. I miss you. I cannot believe that you and Logan have been in career for over a year.
1: (laughs) Time flies. Time definitely has flown. Yeah, I miss your face. I cannot believe this is the first time in forever since we've spoken. Like that is not a good thing. We need to maybe be better about interacting.
0: I know, but time differences, they can be a challenge. You know, my brother lives in New Zealand. Of course, I'm in Texas, and so yeah, it's like yeah. figuring out when's the best time. So it's early morning for me, lateish evening for you, but we're here, mm-hmm. and it's all good.
1: We're doing the damn thing.
0: <laughs> we are doing the damn thing, and we're, we're doing it for a very good reason, because I have a very important question for you. My cheeky question from a chapter title in my book. This is kind of one of my favorites. You ready? Let's do it. How do transgender women pee in a public restroom? <laughs>
1: That's so cringe, you know. I think <laughs> just the question alone is cringy, right? But I think it reminds me of a moment you and I had in the uh, airport in North Carolina. Remember that? I have that picture. It was so crazy. Because I think at that time, there was this whole the bill about allowing trans people in the bathroom that they aligns with their expression aligns with their their gender. And you and I just went into the women's bathroom and we stood in, in there in the same stall, we took turns using the restroom. And then we came out and took a picture in the in the mirror, you and I did that. And it was just so invigorating, because nobody second guessed what we were doing in there. And so I think to answer your question in short, why does it fucking matter? Like just mind your business because all I want to do is get in, get out and go about my business. That's really what it is. Trans people are so much more afraid to have to use the bathroom when they're out because of the fear of retaliation or the fear of being attacked or being judged. Whereas cisgender people don't second guess. They don't think about going to the bathroom and, and having these things done to them. So how do trans women pee in the bathroom? We sometimes sit, some trans women stand up. What, however they want to pee is however they want to pee. What does it matter to you? That's the question.
0: It's no freaking business how transgender women or anyone pee in a public restroom, but carry on, carry on.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. No, that, literally like it's no one's business trans people in general we are so afraid we are more cautious about going to public restrooms because we're constantly targeted we're constantly ridiculed we're constantly judged the only thing that we want to do is just go in there do our business and get out and maybe stand in the mirror and you know do what we need to do to make ourselves look better and then head out the door when it comes to trans people how do they pee however they want to pee do they if they want to stand up or they want to sit down or they want to hover over the damn toilet let them fucking hover (laughs) you know which reminds me of that one time you and i were in north carolina during the whole bathroom debacle about trans people being in the wrong bathrooms it makes me realize that i am very privileged Mm -hmm. for lack of better terms for people who don't know i'm very passing i'm very presentable i present as a woman i look as like a woman i am a woman and so because of the way that I present, no one second guesses. But when you have someone who is just starting out their transition, it may be a, bit, a little bit harder for them. So, yeah, what does it matter? Like you're there to use a the bathroom. It, they're doing the same thing. Like, let them let them go. Like, just leave them alone. Just let them fucking pee in peace. Studies show
0: that trans people are four more times likely to be assaulted or attacked yeah. than cisgender people. And there are zero instances of any trans person attacking or, you know, violating anyone in a bathroom ever, you know, in the United States. And so it's like just this fear-mongering that is used based on, you know, stereotypes and stigma. Right, right. That there's this, you know, this fearful person that's going into a bathroom. And it's so frustrating that bathrooms are gendered in the first place. It's what it's really saying is like if you look like a man you'll be accepted in this place if you look like a woman you'll be accepted in this place where the fuck is anyone else meant to go like gender's (laughs) on a spectrum and as you to your point you know people just want to go do their business and it just irritates me so much. The reason I wanted to ask you this question is because I feel like you and I, together as sisters that you choose, have been in so many different situations where we have had to face this because we have traveled together. And I love that you immediately jumped to that North Carolina experience because that was exactly the one that I remembered, like how ironic it was. And it was like, oh my God, I'm going into a bathroom with a trans woman. I'm not scared, of course. <laughs> being able to like be next to you to witness your lived experience and
1: yeah yeah
0: i'm so protective of you i was like and, and i was thinking no one fucking knows she's trans like it's so
1: <laughs> no that was the whole point no one knew <laughs> and it, no one second guessed it you yeah. know so i guess to answer your question how do transgender women pee in in public restrooms is it politically correct to say that I stand sit <laughs> because I hover? So is that really sitting or standing? I don't really know. I mean, I'm in the motion of sitting, but I'm also standing. So.
0: It, and it's so different for different people. I know many cisgender males that prefer to sit to pee because they don't want to splash themselves.
1: Oh, yeah. That is, that is a real thing.
0: And that's what we don't hear so much, but it is a real thing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, especially if they're really tall (laughs) and also like one of the other experiences I was hoping that you could share with our dear listener. And of course, you know, I like to think of my dad listening to the podcast and dad might not know this or consider this either is like airports and what it's like as a trans person who has made the decision to, Mm -hmm. you know, keep what they're born with going through a fucking metal detector and that kind of stuff. And like, I've been scared for you in those circumstances too. Right.
1: I shared with you a couple of experiences of what has happened to me before in my early transition years. And whereas now I'm much more aware of my body and, you know, just all in all together. But I think earlier in my transition, the metal detectors, which I noticed, were not on the female body structure. <laughs> I noticed that now, like looking back on it and, and, and realizing that it was because of that, that being on the female body structure, that it illuminated certain areas on my body. And because of that, it was just very embarrassing. There was a point in time where I was taken to a separate room mm. to be patted down because they didn't know who to use to pat me down. And to check the areas. And I'm just like, this is this is a waste of time. It's a waste of money. I'm about to miss my flight. Like yeah. it, it is very nerve-wracking because when you think about it, you don't have other people. Other people don't have to experience these things. Right. And so it puts us in a position of embarrassment. It puts us in a position of, is this really what I want to do? I question my own existence. It is very, it's very giving of, you're not normal, basically, to the rest of society. Yeah. Growing over the years and transitioning and and living my life authentically has taught me, like, girl, not everybody is going to be about it, you know, and and that's what it is. And so education has become very important and knowledge and advocacy and activism has become very important. And so that's that's why we're here. So, you know, yeah, those experiences have shaped who I am today.
0: I love your strength and well, basically being indomitable and like letting these experiences advance you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rather than bring you down but that that's extremely challenging it like fascinates me anyway like in there's so many ways in our world that gender is binary like one of two choices so for example you know i'm a cis female and if i go through tsa and the detector goes off for some random reason and i have to wait For a female presenting TSA officer to, you know, freaking pat me down or do a body scan or whatever, because clearly, you know, I present as a woman. Therefore, they assume that a woman is gonna come do this. And it's like, that's based on so many assumptions as well. It's like sexualization of our bodies and the assumption made that a male presenting TSA person couldn't possibly pat me down yeah assuming that that's going to be kind of sexualized in some ways it's like we don't know what my sexual orientation or their sexual orientation is going to be i mean hell does it what if it's a female tsa agent and they happen to be a lesbian does that mean that they're not appropriate to pat me down and i should really go get the gay dude like it's like what the (laughs) fuck and and it's like (laughs) all these assumptions about body parts i'm like hello, some women are born with a penis and would like to keep it. And it's no one's fucking business. People are so unprepared, you know, for what different body parts could look like. And I feel like we have to talk about this because otherwise people just don't know. and We're going to just continue living in these binary assumptions of
1: who we are as human beings, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think to that point, you know, what it boils down to is prejudices and biases. If you can't look at a job or a career as professional and you're not able to, to do that, yeah, then that's not the place for you, you know? So just let us pee. Just let us fucking pee.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just let everybody pee. <laughs> <laughs> the military is like one of the most binary workplaces you'll find, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do the film work with the military, not only to like help end the ban, but to kind of demonstrate that, Yeah. You know, how things are so gendered. So what was the experience like in the military when it comes to like bathrooms? I guess we're going to stick on the subject of bathrooms for a little while longer. (laughs) Yeah. What's it like going to the bathroom in the military? And also, what is it like, you know, for non-binary and intersex individuals in the military now, where you've got males here and females there? Like, where does everybody else fit?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's a lot of questions in two seconds, (laughs) but I will answer all of them. So basically, you know, I think that the idea of trans people in the military and using utilizing, you know, the bathrooms or latrines or heads, whatever you want to call in the military, is that the only place that you would see an open bay area where you have to go and use the bathrooms and a communal Mm. is like basic training. And when you get into the real military, into your real career into your real job and your real first you know duty station all of the urinals all of the toilet they have separate stalls. the um, separate stalls yeah they're separate stalls and they're covered yeah individual stalls so it's not a problem right i what it really boils down to is that you know the military is still very binary in their execution mm. Very binary, it's very male and female. there's nothing that deviates from that, and we saw that during the Donut on don't town we see that during the trans ban and you know the conversations surrounding that. yeah, we're still kind of in that area where you know now that we have the the opportunity to allow trans people to serve in the military, we do see that some in some places where people' second guess trans folks went into the bathroom because they don't look the part right and I'm going to use that that term that that phrase very sparingly because if you don't look the part, right? It's going to cause questions. It's going to cause concern, and so yeah. for a lot of folks that you know are passing have passing privileges in the military that present very binary. They are able to you know use the bathroom without any concern or, or challenge. Whereas other folks don't have that. Op- they they don't they're not afforded that yeah that opportunity that respect in that. Where, and it's the same thing for non-binary and, you know, intersex folks. Right now, the military does not recognize non-binary or intersex folks, which is, hmm. it's, it's an upward, it's an uphill challenge, right? I mean, you were part of the movement in the beginning. You saw a lot of what was happening in the beginning and, and even until now. So what yeah. I will say is that the Don't Ask Don't Tell repeal, the, the repeal of the ban on Don't Ask Don't Tell was a first step in the door.
0: Yeah.
1: First step in the door to in the right direction to have equity and equality for LGBTQ folks. And then Mm -hmm. when the ban on open trans service was lifted, that was a second foot in the door. And right now, Mm -hmm. we're not in the house yet. We're literally standing in the doorframe. We're in the door. Yeah, we're in the house, but we're not in the house. You know what I mean? Like, we're just standing there. So when we talk about the acknowledgement and, and recognition of non-binary folks and our intersex folks, that's taking a lot of work. And we're still working on that. I think what folks don't understand is that just because change one rule, that doesn't change it for everyone. And we saw that with Don't Ask Don't Tell because that only precluded yeah gay, lesbian, and bisexuals, but it did not include trans people. And that's the reason why trans people had to fight even harder to be recognized as service members in the United States military.
0: I can see those steps. I remember like with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, oftentimes just the words lesbian and gay were used. Like they people didn't even use the word bisexual. They didn't think about bi people in, in that movement. Even though as I'm sure the listener has heard many times me saying 57% of the lesbian, gay and bi community is actually bisexual. And so it was like Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal happened and everybody thought, oh yeah, check that box. LGBT people can now serve. And of course that was not true. That was a true, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a law that had to be repealed, whereas ending the trans ban was updating medical policy and procedure like within the military, right? And so trans ban ended, had a bit of wibble wobble back and forth through presidencies, but for the most part, I think we're back to where we were in 2017.
1: That's a nice way of putting it. That's a nice way of putting it. Wibble wobble, yeah. (laughs) I'm
0: just gonna waste energy on giving my real opinion on that situation. (laughs) But then like, again, I think we need to build awareness that this still does not mean that LGBTQIA (laughs) two plus, two spirit, people can all 100% be welcomed to serve in the military. I assume, Layla, is it correct? It's still because of outdated policy, right? I think some of the policies really say, if your genitals look like this, then you're not fit to serve, which seems like complete bullshit to me.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it still is because of outdated policies. I mean, if we steer away from even the conversation of LGBT folks, we're still operating on a lot of our manuals are still old stuff. We're still looking at generations from before me still operating on those things those policies and those regulations and it's we have such a long way to go on changing policy making it more inclusive making it more equitable for everyone from every demographic to be able to serve in the military it's just it's crazy to me and yeah how we pride ourselves on being equitable and being inclusive being diverse and yet here we are still having these conversations and that's that's the hard part but It's not hard for those who are fighting, who are standing the line, you know, standing the line and making sure that we get the education out there. We have, we are the voices for our communities. And if you're
0: non-binary and want to serve in the military, do you currently have to choose either male or female for processing purposes?
1: Yes, actually. Uh, That is a really good question. Thank you for saying that because I have a friend, a really close friend of mine, Mm. lives in California. And... Got their gender marker changed to XE, I think. Yeah. Or the new in California, right? So they're non-binary. Yeah. They got all their documents changed, court order changed. Everything is non-binary, but in the military, they were made to choose one or the other. And so right now, with their medical treatment, yeah, they're changing from male to female, and that's that's how they have to identify basically. So as of right now, currently, they identify as male. In a couple months they should have it changed in the military system to the very binary box of female it's super frustrating to have to tell this really close friend of mine like i'm sorry that you have to go through this i'm sorry you have to make that decision even if you are non-binary on the outside within the military you have to say you're one or the other and that's the reality of it right now but know that the fight is still going forward
0: and what does that mean for them because a lot of us civilians, when we've had no experience of being in the military, you know, we have this imagination that all the males have to go over here and all the females have to go over here, like in terms of like living quarters. and Correct. And especially like we have this not glamorization but I don't know fascination like with (laughs) with war and and like going to a combat zone and what that looks like and you couldn't possibly like mix the genders because all hell might break loose or something (laughs) like oh yeah no what's that like for a non-binary person like do they have to go from you know your friend currently living in male quarters and then has to go shift to the female quarters is that what that looks like
1: luckily my friend doesn't live in the dorms or in the barracks right they yeah they have a, a partner and they're married and they live Outside of that. But I think, in the general idea of what is it like for non binary folks, it is very challenging. On top of trans folks in general, have this fear of, yeah, I don't want to be a, a cause of concern. I don't want people to beat me up. I don't want X, Y, and Z to happen to me. But then when you think about non binary folks, it causes even more of a concern and a challenge because they don't know how to address you. And then you have those folks who are really, really dedicated to making sure that you know that you are not allowed to be here and it makes it even harder for for non-binary folks to to live authentically to be and do professionally yeah and just have a good life you know what i mean so yeah it's a lot more challenging for for our non-binary siblings to be themselves in in those types of environment what would your solution be so i will say that some of the changes that i've seen in the military surrounding equity for LGBT folks has been better. But then I hear stories of, you know, trans 101 training and how the instructor really just read the PowerPoint slides and wasn't really interactive and just said, I have to do this, so bear with me while I go through these slides. Like hearing those stories is hard mm. to our non Barnet folks and intersex folks out there that are having to face these challenges. Even our LGBT folks in general, having to face these challenges that first you have to be able to find a secure group that you know is going to be your safe haven, find your tribe, Mm -hmm. and then let someone know that these things are happening because we cannot fix it if no one's saying anything. And I know that's hard. Yeah, there's a lot of fear that for of retaliation, if I say something or if I do this and they're not going to listen to me and I hear those stories, I really do. In fact, I face those things in my own life in my own career. Mm. But there comes a day when the last thing I would want for them to do is have a permanent solution to a temporary problem. One, two, I don't want to see folks have to fight their fight alone.
0: Right. Yeah. And I know that Sparta is one of those circles, isn't it? And we'll definitely have the link to that in the show notes.
1: Sparta definitely was a a very huge safe haven for a lot of trans folks in the early years of the trans military movement. And me, myself and Logan being one of the first 30 members in, in the organization where we helped build that, which is now a nationally recognized organization built by and operated by trans folks, it really is amazing to see how many service members have come out since you know the beginning of this movement for open trans service and how many people we continue to still mentor and see rise up through the ranks. Sparta is definitely one of those places that I will always hold forever in my heart.
0: I have to share with you the most inclusive restrooms that I have ever seen. And I can only imagine that potentially they would work great in the military and maybe they already are like this in the military. But I walked into these (laughs) restrooms and I started crying. I was like, can you imagine? I know, because I was just so, I was so happy and so relieved because I stepped into them and I thought this makes me so happy because it's such a safe space for people of any gender expression just to be able to relieve themselves. And so The Austin Media Center, which is the new home of PBS here in Austin, I would say the only thing I would change is say restrooms. You don't even need a symbol of what a human being looks like. But it was one of those most inclusive human beings like representing all genders. And then, of course, somebody in a wheelchair as well. I mean, we could just put restrooms and not have to bother like putting the outline of a human being. Anyway, but you walk into them and there's these big stalls that are like family rooms so that if you're – an adult with some kids and you don't want to, you know, lose the kids or let them go running around that there's space for them in order while you do your business. And then it's just like a whole line of stalls, the doors and the walls go from floor to ceiling. So it's completely private and enclosed. It's so cute. They have these little lights above the door. Like, you know, when on TV, when the light's on, it's like on air, you lock the door and the light comes on and then there's just a whole row of washrooms and that's i mean excuse me not washrooms there's a whole row of sink and you just come out and wash your hands because i think the thing we should fear the most in the restroom are people that don't wash their hands
1: oh god yes yeah and you know there's a lot of people that don't wash their damn hands know. you know i've been in a lot of women's, women's restrooms as myself right yeah it's not just men who don't wash their hands. Like, literally, it's just not the guys who don't wash their hands. There are tons of women who don't wash their hands either. And that's disgusting to me.
0: Disgusting. Okay. No. <laughs> There's already time to move on to your Lionheart story. You were telling me earlier about your experiences in Korea. How has it been living as a, a trans woman and as a spouse of a, somebody in the military in Korea? Have you seen any Lionheart stories there?
1: Absolutely. Being from the continental United States and coming to a a country that we've never been to, that already poses its challenges. And I live at many different intersectionalities. I'm, you know, you named a few of them in, in my introduction, but one of them is being a spouse. And for folks who are in the military communities, they know how Great the spouse community can be, and they also know how horrible the spouse community can be. And we have a different set of challenges and we go through a different set of experiences as spouses. For me, being a transgender woman in the military as a spouse overseas in a country I've never been to, like I can go on with, you know, this description. (laughs) It's harder to make friends, especially in, you know, when you don't know anything. Hmm. And so as the as the outgoing type I am, I kind of reclused myself into this corner because I'm in a different country. And so I came here to Korea with the notion that I'm not going to put myself out there here because I don't necessarily want people to know. Because it's not like I can just drive home or I can just fly home. And Logan and I being here in Korea people found out that we were here in Korea the LGBT community found out that we were in Korea and they were like oh my gosh the Ireland's are here let's get them to do some things and so we've spoken on a few panels but the very first panel that I was invited to speak on was a pride panel here at the airbase that we're stationed at yeah which was really nice because it was almost a celebration of open trans service like it was a thing right yeah and so there was a panel of I think about 12 people I was I was asked to be the keynote speaker but The real Lionheart story is that I had befriended this spouse who her husband works with my husband Mm -hmm. and she asked me, what was I doing this week? And I said, you know, I have a panel. You should. Mm -hmm. She asked, you know, what was it about? And I was like, oh, you know, it's just about, you know, military spouses. I'm I'm just a keynote. So she ended up coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. She came out sat in the back with her son, her uh, then three-year-old son, who was the most well-behaved child I've ever (laughs) seen in my life, sat there and she actually came in right before I did my keynote and listened through the whole thing, went on to do the Q&A with the panel. She was still there in the back. And after the panel was done, after the event was finished, she came up to me and in in tears basically and hugged me and she said, I had no idea. And I'm so honored and grateful that you were able to share that with me and allow me to to come in and listen, which she said, when I first met you, I felt like there was this boundary, you know, like you were very guarded. Yeah. And I asked her, I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, it just didn't seem like you were fully yourself, like more or less reserved in being present in that moment and getting to know someone better. Mm. She, you know, she opened up and she said, I don't care what you identify as. You're a woman. You're my friend. I need friends here. This is a different country. We need to stick together. Mm. My son loves you. Like she helped create a space where I could really be myself, which is really great because she asks all the questions. She really does. And she doesn't hold back. Cause she's very inquisitive and it's not because she's, she's malicious in the intent of gathering information. She genuinely does not know. And I feel like if folks were just like her, if they didn't know, they would be brave enough to ask the questions, even if they were off the wall questions, it's a moment for trans people to educate, right? I know there's a lot of conversations surrounding that we should not have to educate folks, but the answer is yes and no. There are times when we should educate people and then there are times when we don't need to because a lot of these things are common sense, like asking how trans women <laughs> pee in fucking restrooms. Like that is not a question to ask I'm circle back around with it. You know what I mean? So these are the things that should not be asked. So she heard your
0: story for the first time in this panel, it sounds like, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, she did. And did you tell them about the film? I did. Yeah. So over this time that I've been here, that we've been here in Korea, I have shown her trans military film. I have shown her transgender at Warren and love that by New York Times. She has become much more knowledgeable on a lot of these things, and so she's met a lot of our friends that are part of the LGBT community, and vice versa. My friends love her because she's very open and she's very honest. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a little brutally honest, but they understand. Right? Mm-hmm. I may be chastised for even saying this by my own community that. Yes, we have to be willing to be patient with folks and give them the grace that if they don't know that we can explain it to them and they will figure it out. Yeah. But then there are other times when we should be able to tell that they're being malicious in their intent and what they're saying. And that's when we don't have to explain anything to anyone. Right. So there are tons of activists and activists, activists and advocates out there that say no. No let them learn on their own. Yeah, Google is at their fingertips. <laughs> While that may be true, right? That may be true. But you only can learn so much from the internet and not everything is true. And so right. the one thing that we have a power as people is to be able to tell our own stories. And when you tell your story, it becomes relatable, it becomes compassion, it becomes human.
0: When you're amazing. And I love working with you. And I don't trust Google searches enough mm-hmm. to just let people go find you randomly on the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I love Google.
0: It's useful. It's useful. But yeah, we'll see. Anyway, so in, in our closing words, Layla, where would you like our dear listener to find you? And if there are people out there that need more information, on being LGBTQ+, plus, trans, non-binary, intersex in the military, which organization would you point them to today?
1: Yeah, you can go to Sparta.org.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: SpartaPride.org is the organization that is built for, built by, and uh, fully operated by trans folks. But you can find me on Twitter at Leila Ireland, on Instagram at Leila.ireland, and on Facebook at The Official Ireland. So... Come check me out.
0: (laughs) Well, this has been an amazing chat. I love you so much and I miss you. Can't wait for you to come back stateside. So i can give you another hug.
1: I know it's been too long. I will see you soon, my dear friend. Love you. All
0: right. I love you too. (laughs) Bye. Ciao. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always, and let your lion heart roar.
1: This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.